The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narconon Suncoast. Hello, everybody. This is Joni Siegel, and this is the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. I will be your host for today, and this is episode number 134. We are narrowing in on the end of our third year. Today, we're going to have an interview with an actor named Tony Dennison. But before I tell you all about Tony, I want to remind you to please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and rate us five stars. Give us a good review. It helps our podcast become visible to more and more people and they will in turn receive the same messages that you are receiving of help and hope. So today we'll be talking to Tony Dennison. And he was born and raised in New York City's Harlem. He worked for John Hancock Insurance, but is more recently an actor. He is most recently known for his role as Lieutenant Andy Flynn in The Closer and its spinoff, Major Crimes. He's also well known for his role as mob boss Ray Luca on the NBC crime drama, Crime Story. He also has his own story of his relationship with drugs and alcohol. So without further ado, let's talk to Tony Dennison. Tony, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate you being willing to share your story with us. My pleasure. So the way I usually start these is I ask, how did you get started with drugs and or alcohol? Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess out of the gate, like anybody else, is like a teenager and is 13, 14 years old, 15 years old. I started drinking. You know, we'd go to the, the teen dance. On, I don't know if they even have things like that anymore. I'm really dating myself. <laughs> but we would have like Friday night, like, you know. But I mean, I had like Billy Joel. I went to school, high school with Billy Joel. So Billy Joel and the Hassles would play at our teen center. So I don't know how many people can I make that claim. Wow. But anyway, uh, I would go there and I'd drink and I would just drink to the point where I'd get nauseous, throw up, and I thought I had a great time, <laughs> you know. And then as I got older, when I got about 18, 19, I'd avoided doing drugs of any kind for the longest time. I was afraid, I suppose, you know. But then finally I thought, hey, you know what? If I can get higher than I am on booze and quicker... Uh, let's do it, and I don't have to throw up. And so that's when I started, you know, experimenting with drugs, and um, I loved it. And then so I was doing them, you know, hand in hand for the, you know, until uh, 26, well, actually 35 years ago, I stopped doing drugs, kept drinking, but then 26 and a half years ago, I stopped drinking. So I'm completely clean and sober 26 and a half years, but 35 years off drugs. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, I usually tell people, you know, I use quotes from different songs and movies a lot of times when I share at meetings and I say, you know, like the Dylan song, I started out on Burgundy and soon, soon hit the harder stuff because when I was a kid, my family as Sicilian immigrants and my grandparents used to make my grandfathers on both sides of the family used to make their own wine, you know? So when we go there for Sunday dinners, uh, you know, they would give us their version of some Italian burgundy, you know, <laughs> which, I mean, which would level a, a donkey to the ground, but you used to cut it, cut it a little bit with orange soda. And that's when I, you know, so I'd, I'd start having my, you know, my first drinks and I wasn't so crazy about the taste right away. 
but I liked the effect that it sort of had on me. It, you know, it sort of heated up my body in a sense. My head sort of sort of got warm, and I chased that feeling for the rest of my life. Wow. You know, and I ended on one. I mean, I ended at the point when I stopped drinking. Um, the only thing I could drink at near the end was just wine, interestingly enough. And, uh, and then I had my worst escapade, ex -ex escapade with booze was on wine. Three and a half glasses of wine brought me to a place of complete and utter literal insanity. Wow. So, you know, and that's when I re reached what they say in the books, uh, in the book, you know, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. Or as we say on the podcast, your point of no return. The point of no, yeah, when you are howling at the moon, like a, literally like a werewolf. Oh, my goodness. And then two coyotes howled back. Oh, my goodness. And I, and I thought, this is great. I've become a savage. Wild animals know what I'm saying. And so I just, you know, just started crying, laying on my back, because it was the only place I could lay, uh, without wanting to throw up, interestingly enough. I hadn't thrown up for years. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> finally, it just, uh, you know, it just got better. And, uh, I, I mean, it got, it got to the point where I said, okay, I, I gotta get, I mean, I meant to say I got, I had to get better and I heard a voice and the voice said, um, uh, you're done. It's over. You need help. I thought it was a neighbor first because I was, like I said, I was howling and I lived up in the hills in, in Sherman Oaks and there was nobody around and I tried to stand. I couldn't stand. I had a crawl on my hands and knees and this is just three and a half glasses of wine, wow. which I had had like, you know, maybe two hours before that point. So it was really wild. And that was it. And you never looked back? Uh, no, I was interesting. I don't ever remember having like, you know, like uh, urges to drink. <clears throat> I mean, I remember in like in the very beginning, like the first couple of months that I was sober, but I hadn't gone to meetings yet. I was drinking non-alcoholic wine thinking, okay, you know, and I realized I hate, I mean, non-alcoholic beer. Um. And I hate beer. I mean, I despise it. I mean, it was like if beer were the only thing to drink, I would have gotten sober when I was 14. Right. <clears throat> you know, because it just never fit sit with me well. You know, I used to joke and tell people that if I was a woman and I had two beers, I'd wake up pregnant. <laughs> I mean, you know, my blackouts were only on beer, believe it or not. <laughs> Isn't that weird? It is. You know, and I used to drink like a quart of scotch a night when I was doing the cocaine, uh, sometimes two quarts. <clears throat> and uh, I just... Uh, Beer just literally brought me to blackout land. Wow. So, what other drugs did you do besides cocaine? Did everything. Every oh, okay. I mean, cocaine at the end was the worst. I mean, I was doing about $800 of cocaine a day. Wow. And I was running an illegal gambling club in New York. You know, if I made any money, it was completely, you know, fitted or fretted away on drugs and me gambling and stuff. So... You know, and I just was uh, going crazy. And then finally, I hit my bottom then, and I thought it was like, you know, the, the pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization, or what as you say, the point of no return. But it wasn't. It was really a financial bottom. Uh, you know, I owed money to loan sharks and Shylocks, and people owed me money, and it was like no way, you know, I couldn't pay my, I mean, it was really pretty bad, because I lived in the same place where I had the poker game. Mm. And... Um, I thought, okay, I got to do something. So I went to a couple of AA meetings, and I, you know, said, okay, I, I get it, I get it. I, but I don't have a problem with alcohol. I get that I have a problem with with drugs. So I stopped doing the drugs. But the only reason why I was able to stop doing the drugs uh, was because I was still uh, still drinking. Got it. But then you ended up in California. California came 
this was like 1980, um, about 1985 when I stopped doing the drugs completely. Okay. And then, uh, 1984, and then in 1986, I got a break because I got back into acting, which was my chosen profession. And I got a break on a series, and the series went to uh, Chicago, and then the series was in Las Vegas, and then after it wrapped for the first year, uh, my now ex-wife and I, we moved to California, which was my plan since I, can't, from since I was a child. I wanted to live out here because of the weather. Right. And, uh, you know, it's a, if, you look, if you've ever been to Sicily, the topography of Southern California and the weather is like very, very similar. Oh, interesting. I had no idea. Yeah, it's very, very similar. I used to say to my, my mom and dad, I said, how come Grandma and Grandpa didn't keep going out to California? They said, oh, Anthony, you know, when, when they got to, uh, got to New York, your grandfather, he had a, a cousin, and my other grandfather had a cousin, and, you know, and they got jobs. And so they just stayed in Brooklyn and, and, and uh, in, uh, in Harlem. No, no, Harlem. They originally were in Harlem. We both were in Harlem, cause, which was in a, a Sicilian area up in Spanish Harlem at the time, but it was all basically Sicilian uh, Italians, whereas downtown in Little Italy it was mostly, you know, northern, more northern Italians. <clears throat> there were some Sicilians down there, but the mo- majority of them were congregated up in Harlem. Wow, I didn't know that at all. Yeah. Wow. So you were married, and you were an actor. Uh-huh. But you weren't still doing drugs then. You were you were just doing alcohol. Is that? I, I was just drinking, yeah. And okay. I didn't drink on the job, and I didn't ever lose a day's work because of it, and I didn't screw up on the set because of it. But you know, when we wrapped for the evening, you know, boom! I just definitely had to have something to drink. And eventually, <clears throat> the drinking uh, from '86 to like around, I guess '90. 91, it just got to the point where I couldn't drink scotch anymore. I couldn't drink vodka. I never really cared for vodka. And like I said, I could never drink beer. Uh, and then um, uh, gin, none of those things were, you know, rye. I couldn't stand too sugary. So I, I, so I started switching to wine because I still want, you know, with the excuse, I'm an adult. I should be able to drink, you know, wine, and, you know, have some kind of alcoholic beverage with my meal, you know, which was, <laughs> you know, it was just an excuse to get drunk. Right. And, uh, you know, and like I used to tell people, it's interesting, not every time I drank, I got drunk. I mean, drunk to the point where I was out of control. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, or, or foolish. But I didn't know when those days were going to be. I mean, you know, if I drank like 20 times in a row, two of them I might have like a really pleasant evening or three of them, you know, and the other 17 were I was an idiot. So... If I knew what three days they were, I would have drank only on those days. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know, <laughs> but, you know, so it's like that's where we have to admit that we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. And, yeah, my life was unmanageable when I drank and I was powerless over alcohol. I didn't know when it was going to, you know, slam me up against the wall or not. And most times, more times than not, it slammed me against the wall. You know, it's interesting that you say that um, because I've talked about a couple times on the podcast one you know, specifically concerning um, some psychiatric medications in that Mm -hmm. they affect people differently. 
and mm-hmm. some person might be able to take an antidepressant and it you know and it does help them and they're not depressed but then the next guy takes it and grabs a gun and shoots his whole family and so it's a bit of a russian roulette and mm-hmm. recently we were talking about I think it was heroin or cocaine or just a, you know, a a normal, excuse me for that word, normal street drug. And again, it can affect people differently. And one guy Mm -hmm. can, you know, you know, get help and, you know, become recovered. And then, you know, the other guy overdoses. And I, I, but the reason why I'm saying all of this is that it never occurred to me that the same thing is true about alcohol. And it's, Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit like, duh, you know, because I mean, obviously, because, some people can never drink again and some people could if they wanted to and stop. But it's, it's right. interesting that from your experience, you could have a decent experience with alcohol, if we could say that, and then a really bad experience with alcohol. Interesting. Well, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm like one, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm 26 and a half years sober and throughout my travels through all the AA rooms that I've been to, or, you know, recovery rooms or whatever, um, what happens is I realize a lot of people talk about, oh, you know, you know, doing a fourth step again, you know, where you take personal inventories and all that. You know, and I, I'm, I'm not, I, you know, fine, you know, take as many fourth steps as you want. I mean, you have the tenth step, which says, you know, to continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, we, pro- we promptly admitted it. So, you know, that's kind of like, it was my, you know, that's what I do. I mean, I do as many tenth steps as I can each day or each afternoon or whatever occurs. However... I'm one of these people who firmly believes that step one and step two are like really, really important steps because I must admit that I'm powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable, which then segues very nicely into came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. The unmanageability is connected to insanity. Right. And if I don't accept that I'm, I can be insane at the, like I was saying the other day at a meeting, I drove, I could be driving in my car listening to, you know, let's say a, a Beatles song or a Rolling Stones song, which let's, you know, catapults me back to like when I was a teenager or something. And I'll be like, oh, that's right. And the next thing I know, I remember some guy, you know, did some grievance to me or something. And, I, and it was a fight or something that happened in high school. And I, and I wasn't able to get the last word in or the, you know, the last punch in or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> And at the end of the day, I'm driving the car. One minute I was like going, you know, having fun listening to a Rolling Stones song. The next thing you know, I want to drive the car into, into another car. I'm like so insane. Just a reminder that you are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For further information on the podcast, you can go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or you can find us on our Facebook page by the same name, or... You can call us at 727-314-7080, or you can email us to theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com. For further information on Narcan on Suncoast, call 1-877-339-3324. That's 1-877-339-3324. Sometimes the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step 
to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast and get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com, that's N-E-W-M-A-N-I-N-T-E-R-V-E-N-T-I-O-N-S.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. And I realized that today, the good news is because of my sobriety, I don't have to drive and feel that insanity for like not that long. I recognize the feeling, but I must recognize that I have to come to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. So then I must go to whatever that higher power is for me as quickly as possible. Wow. And most of the times I tell people that, you know, because like in step six and seven, especially in step seven, which I think is a really great step, I sometimes read it just as a meditative exercise. Um, and read it very slowly and just like try to absorb it. But they talk about the chief activator of all of our defects has been primarily fear, fear that we're going to lose something we have or fail to get something that we demanded. And it says living upon a basis of unsatisfied demands, no peace of mind can be had until we can find a way of reducing the demands, which I think is an interesting statement because he's saying, you know, you're going to constantly, your ego is going to constantly give you expectations and desires. What happens for me, this alcoholic, and maybe for other alcoholics is, I have something that I want, okay? The minute I take that want and turn it into a need, it becomes a demand. Mm-hmm. I must have it, otherwise my life is, is incomplete in that moment. Interesting. I can't stop that from happening. But what I can do is I can influence how long I stay there now. Now, maybe I stay there for an hour. Maybe I stay there maybe even for a day, sadly, sometimes. But not like I used to, like for weeks at a time, you know, years at a time. I mean, I have some grievances with certain people, you know, and I have to pray about it all the time. You know, uh, there are certain people I know that in my most immediate past that I still harbor some resentments towards. But I don't need to, like, you know, tell get the last word. Because I used to be one of these last word-itis kind of guys, <laughs> you know. And, uh, you know, you, you son of a, I'll tell you something. You couldn't count to ten if you started at seven, you <laughs> son of a, you know, whatever. You know, <laughs> I just had to get that last word in. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't really, the desire to do it is still there. And sadly, sometimes my girlfriend and I, my girl, we may have an argument and I have to get the last word in. And she looks at me like, you know, again. <laughs> but, you know, those days, you know, they're not as, I mean, look, believe me, no, no, nobody, nobody walks away from this stuff, you know, clean as a whistle. Right. Uh, and it's a, it's a lifelong journey. The trudging the road to happy destiny, you know, means to walk with a determined purpose. But, you know, it's a trudge because right. these things start coming up, yeah. you know, all the time. Yeah. And I think it was Billy Graham. And again, I'm not, a, you know, I'm, no value about that guy whatsoever because I'm not a religious guy at all. But I heard him talk one time on the radio or my sponsor, actually, my sponsor had pointed out something on, that Billy Graham had said on the radio, that we have no control over what thoughts come into our head. The only thing that we have, we have the control to info or influence how long they stay there and what we do about them. Right. And you know what? He's right. You know, whether you agree with the guy on all the other stuff, he says, it doesn't matter. That's a really poignant statement. Yes, I agree. It's all about the choices that you make, basically. Right. Well, he hasn't, you know, like, again, 
you know, I, I made a point to read the Bible tw- a couple of times. And the reason why I did it was because I used to argue with people about the Bible all the time, and I never read it. Mm. So I said, oh, I better read this thing so I know what I'm talking about. And the minute I read it, I stopped arguing about it. You know, <laughs> Again, I mean, like I said, I'm not a religious person in any way, shape, or form. But I, you know, it was an interesting book. I really enjoyed it. It's got some great morality lessons in there. You, know, it's like a, you, want, you can live by certain mora- the morality of the Bible and lead, lead a pretty decent life. But there's a thing that's accredited to Jesus where he says, As a man thinketh, so shall he reap. So, you know, um, so if I think, uh, you know, thoughts of mayhem and chaos, I'm going to have mayhem and chaos in my life. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's valid. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So what are, what, what does life hold for you right now? You. Well, right now I I have a wonderful woman in my life. I like that. And we, uh, You know, we, 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 have, we have a great life going on, and I'm, I was on a TV series for like 13 years straight, and then that show ended, um, and it's been about, it'll be two years next month that it's been ended, and now I'm you know, working on some other stuff. I took a year off and, you know, just took care of some stuff, and I, uh, I, uh, now I'm like, you know, back into it, deciding that maybe I might want to produce if I can be so fortunate to do that. Oh, that's cool. You know, uh, but I have a couple of projects that I'm working on that, you know, God willing, the, uh, I always say to people, you know, it's got to happen to somebody. Why not me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, somebody said, oh, I got off. I got to look, it's got to happen to somebody. Why not you? <laughs> there and they you go, go. What do you mean? I go, well, why not you? I mean, was there any reason, you know, you think if there's like a, like a God, like a, like a white bearded gentleman sitting right above the clouds that you can't see, and he's going to say, you know what, today I'm going to like screw with Tony. That's it, because he just deserves it, because why? What he said was so worse than anybody else said, you know, and I'm going to just make his day miserable. And that, 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 that big red balloon or that, that rocking horse, horse that he wanted, not getting, simple as that. That's funny. I mean, really, seriously? I know. You know. <laughs> you know, it's like I said, do you think, I said, if there was a God in that sense, do you think God would, like, you know, like, take away all the stuff that he's got to, like, have influence over for, the, you know, for everywhere and at planets that we don't even know about? Right. To, like, turn around and screw with your day? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, you're not, you're important. <laughs> all of us are important. I said, but you know, you know. But maybe really? not that important. <laughs> you know, I mean, if, if God had that kind of power, if God, if that was the God that you're thinking about, He would blink and you would disappear. So you know, what's what, what's what's the point? It's like I have a good friend, uh, Victoria, who once she, she shares a meeting. She says, "I know that God loves me. You know, I can prove it to you because God has a picture of me in His wallet." You know, I remember when she was sharing it the first time. She goes, "Okay, it's a group picture, but I can show you where." <laughs> I just laughed out loud. Uh, I thought that was brilliant. That's hilarious. I okay, love that. Okay, it's a group that. picture, but I'm in it. I love that. Yeah. Tony, you do some work with um, Michael's organization, Steered Straight, don't you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, I do. Do you, are, are you a public speaker? Is that, is that what you do for... Well, he asked me to do that one time, and he's asked me to do some public speaking, and I guess they're trying to put together some events for me to uh, speak at. Okay. Uh, and I'm more than happy to do that. I'm more than happy to do anything I can when it comes to children and, and animals. I really, uh, you know, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's my uh, sort of, 
my uh, what's that French word? Raise, raise the, the raison, raison d'être or whatever. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, I don't speak French, so I don't either. But, you know, I, but anyway, but that's my uh, that's my cause celeb in life is to work with you know children and animals. Did whatever I can do. That's awesome. And um, you know, that's what I do. I mean, like certainly if there's some adult charity that there are people having problems with, and if I have the time, yeah, like I sometimes do work. Do volunteer stuff for the vets, uh-huh. and uh, you know I, I'm not opposed to doing that. But if, but primarily, if I can work with, because uh, on cr- on major crimes in the closer, uh, one of my stable mates, G.W. Bailey, you know he has a charity called the Sunshine Kids, which deal with kids with cancer, uh-huh. and he's been doing it for like almost 30 years now, I think. And uh, wow, and you know it's just wonderful work that they do, and uh, and so. So much, so many of us on the show would lend our time and and you know uh, to go do and even donate stuff money wise and other things uh, to the charity so that the kids could raise money for the stuff. And it's cause great, great. It's a great thing that they do for that charity. That's awesome. That's very cool. If mm-hmm. someone wanted to reach out to you and mm-hmm. you know m- maybe have you speak, would they just go to steeredstraight.org? Is that the way to? Yeah, that, that or you you have my number if you want to you know pass my number along to somebody and okay. they want to call me they can. Okay, so anybody listening, you could reach out to us here at the podcast, the Addiction Podcast at yahoo.com and we can put you in touch with Tony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. T- Tony, one thing I always like to do, um, kind of at the end of the interview, is to ask is if you had one message to give we i think i know that we have some addicts who listen to this podcast and i know that probably the large percentage is friends and families of people who are addicted so if you could mm-hmm. give them one message a heartfelt message from you what would it be a heartfelt message for me gee i don't um <clears throat> i guess that how do i put this it's like I tell people, I could, I could do it this way in terms of the business. There's nobody in the world that's like you, that, that is you. There are people that are similar to you, but there's nobody exactly like you. We are as unique as our fingerprints. You know? And so understand that there's a purpose for you being here. We may not know what the purpose is, but there's a purpose for us being here. And again, I don't want to get like all, you know, woo-woo and esoteric and <laughs> religious and all that stuff, but we all have a reason to be here. Otherwise, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be here. Right. And I tell people like, you know, like people get a pl- part in a movie or part in a play and they go, oh, it's you know, a small part. I go, if it wasn't important, it wouldn't be in the script. Right. I said, it, it's, you know, so like for all of us, if it's not, imp- if it's not important, we wouldn't be in the script. <laughs> or it's like a baseball player. You know, I always use a lot of baseball analogies. And the main thing is sometimes your job, you know, is to just move the runner over from first to second and somebody else gets the screaming double down the left, left, left field line and scores the run. And the next day, anybody knowledgeable in sports will say, well, if it wasn't for Tony laying down that bunt, so-and-so wouldn't have been in a position to get on second so this person could have got the RBI and won the game. Right. You know, and sometimes you're the guy who hits the, the screaming line drive down the left field line. You know, <laughs> we don't know what it is. So just enjoy the game. You yeah. know, just enjoy the, uh, the opportunity to play the game. And, you know, a lot of times I sign my, when I sign autographs on pictures, I say, live your dreams. We all have dreams, and dreams are okay. A lot of people get down on dreams because they say, oh, it's like, you know, uh, it's a one-syllable word for uh, expectations. But so what? So it's, I can have expectations. I'm allowed, and I'm allowed to dream. 
Yep. I just have to keep my expectations and my dreams sort of in a, you know, in a tempered sort of state of mind. Right. Where, again, I don't turn them into demands. Right. It's okay to want things, but when I get to the place where I got to have them, then I'm like, you know, I'm in trouble. Then I'm in that, 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 that like insanity land. Right, right. Well, that's awesome. I wish you, I wish you could tell me that you had a, another show coming up and then we'd announce you and we'd say you, he's going to be <clears throat> appearing in something, but I know you will Well, I'll be, I'll be appearing on All Rise. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know. Right now, I think the plan is to have me reoccur. So, you know, and it's a great show and I'm like really happy to be a part of it. I don't know how many parts of it I'll be of, <laughs> of it. But right now, I'm, you know, I'm scheduled to do some more work. I've worked the pilot and I did another episode. And I'm scheduled to do another episode. And after that, you know, uh, fine. Uh, all, I'm available. I, mean, I love what I do. All Rise? That's what it's called? All Rise? Yeah, All Rise. It's on CBS on Monday nights. Awesome. And, uh, you know, and I'm off to, I'm off to go do a movie. Uh, for two weeks, and um, it's called Deep Woods. That's the working title right now. Okay. And I play a mean sheriff. I play, you know, the, you know, the, what do they call it when they stop you on the road? Road roadblock nightmare. Ah, there you and, go. Uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, like your worst, you know, your worst nightmare at a roadblock. Right. right. <laughs> and that kind of thing. But uh, but again, it, it'll, it'll, it's it's like, like I said, I can't say it enough. I love what I do. That's awesome. But I'm more in love with learning. I'm more in love with learning to be happy with who I am, not with learning about you know what I am and what I have. Right. I'm loving learning more and more about who I am, and uh, and that's like a it's a full time job. I understand. <laughs> you know, and the more I get to the place where I can say I like myself or love myself from time to time, uh, better shot I have at doing all the other stuff you know, in life uh, somewhat reasonably. Absolutely. Well, Tony, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. I know sure, it's, it's going to resonate with people. and Oh, I hope so. That'd be great. And I think that the people listening will watch you. They will look for you on TV and for your movie. And there's also reruns of The Closer and Major Crimes are still on TV. I think you can get them on, uh, I think, Hulu or uh, Amazon or... Netflix, Netflix, one of those. It's one of those, one of those. And then it's also on, uh, it's on Lifetime. It's on the Warner Brother channel. So, you know, uh, I'm living in perpetuity in those reruns, <laughs> which is great. Awesome. Awesome. You know. Thank you again, Tony. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And good luck with your pod, future podcast. And, uh, you know, live your dreams. Thank you. Wow. I hope you enjoyed listening to this interview with Tony Dennison. I thought it was very enlightening. And one of the things I liked about it was he really went into details about the 12-step program and how it worked for him. Um, we know that sometimes the 12-step program is very effective. Sometimes it's not. But we like to offer options. And while he definitely has embraced the whole 12-step program and the different steps that you do and has um, brought them into his own life and he uses them on a daily basis to help him with his sobriety. I think that's very laudable and commendable. I would also like to say, however, that if you have tried the 12-step program 
perhaps once, perhaps more than once, and it has not worked for you, or it has not worked for your loved one, and has not resulted in sobriety, in a sober and clean life, I would strongly recommend that you reach out to Narcanon Suncoast. The Narcanon program is very different from the 12-step program and is based largely on science and actual technology and exact steps to help someone achieve sobriety. And for many, it is the ultimate solution, if not the first solution. So be sure and check out Narcan on Suncoast if the 12-step program has not worked for you or your loved one. Once again, as always, please listen to our podcast and subscribe wherever you listen to it. And please give us a five-star rating because that helps move us up in the, um, you know, the search for different podcasts and it helps us reach more people and hopefully help more people, which is everything we're about. Thank you so much for listening. We will have an interview next week that I'm kind of super excited about it with a young gentleman who reached out to us um, on the podcast and his name is Austin. And so we'll talk to Austin next week. Have a good week. One other word for you because we are right in front of the holiday season. So often the families and friends of addicts want to wait until after the holidays to get their loved one into treatment because they want them around for the holidays. It's not going to be a good experience having an addict around you or your family for the holidays, regardless of how much you love them. And the longer you wait to get someone into treatment, the more chance there is of that person getting arrested, overdosing, or killing somebody else. And there's really no reason to wait. And while it might be, you think it might be good to have them for this holiday season, if you were to get them into treatment and get them clean and sober, you'll have them for many more holiday seasons. And otherwise you might not. So thank you for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcanonsuncoast.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard. 